This episode is brought to you by the How to Buy a Home podcast. When I bought my house, I thought things were crazy, but oh my god, have y'all seen the market? There are lines out the door at open houses, houses are selling for way more than their asking prices, and what the heck is going on with interest rates? If you are wondering how to even start, you should be listening to the How to Buy a Home podcast. Host David Sedoni is an industry expert. He's got years of expertise. He has been helping first-time homebuyers figure out how to buy a house in every kind of real estate market imaginable. You might be wondering, can I buy a home if my credit score is only, I don't know, 600? And the answer is yes. Check out the How to Buy a Home podcast on YouTube and also wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, Houston, and happy Monday. It is the week before Easter, and here is what we are watching in the news. Melissa Lucio, a Dallas woman on Texas death row, was convicted of murdering her two-year-old. She is scheduled to be executed April 27th, but the Innocence Project, a documentary, and a bipartisan group of legislators all argue that Lucio is innocent. What will Texas Governor Greg Abbott do? Catalytic converter theft is continuing to lead to deaths in the Houston area. On Saturday in Northeast Houston, Precinct 4 County Constables were chasing three men suspected of stealing catalytic converters. Deputies radioed that the car was traveling at more than 100 miles an hour. As it exited Highway 99 at Champion Forest, the car flipped. Two men died at the site, and a third was seriously injured. Plus, we are approaching the peak of spring bird migration, and the Houston area is in the central flyway. By mid-April, every night, thousands of birds will be flying over each of us. Today, I'm talking with two Rice professors, CityCast contributor Scott Solomon and Sin T. Lee, about a project to monitor what, exactly, is going on up there in the dark. It's Monday, April 11th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Good morning, Scott and Senti. Good morning. Scott, I wanted you just to set us up here. Why is bird migration such a big deal, and especially right here and right now? Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of people love to go out and, and watch birds, and we're very blessed here in the Houston area to be in a place where we have the privilege of getting to see a lot of different kinds of birds. And some of them live here year round, but a lot of them are migrating through in the fall and the spring on their way to and from uh, the, the tropics. They go down to Mexico, down to Central America and other places. And it's, you know, it's an amazing natural phenomenon, the fact that these birds can can navigate and you know cover these large distances, live in these different kinds of environments. And we get the opportunity to go out right here in our own backyards in many cases, and we get to see a lot of them as they're on their way back and forth. And am I right in thinking that there's a lot that scientists still don't understand about how a you know, half pound of bird can travel for a thousand miles? 
Yeah, it's true. I mean, we've come a long way. We do know a bit about how some species of birds are able to navigate and in some cases find, you know, very specific locations. Um, but there's, you're right, there is still a lot that we don't know. It was actually one of my first uh, research experiences as an undergraduate student at the University of Illinois. We were trying to understand a bit about how birds actually use energy during migrations. And at the time, I didn't realize that some birds migrate at night. And in fact, a lot of them migrate at night. And my job then was to drive a field vehicle in the middle of the night through rural Illinois and Wisconsin to try to track down one individual bird that we were trying to uh, to follow. So what, it had a, like a GPS leg band or something? It did. How yeah, did Exactly. Okay. It was like primitive days before, <laughs> like, you know, the technology we have today. There wasn't any like laptop, um, you know, uh, like GPS software. So we had a primitive version and we were we had a radio tag on it and we had to follow this bird. I mean, <laughs> we caught it in the cornfields of central Illinois one day and then we chased it as it flew all night. It was a species of thrush. And we caught it again in like northern Wisconsin early the next morning. This bird was like must have felt like it was living in a nightmare. But I was amazed. And this was part of what made me decide to become a biologist. I was like, this is so cool that we get to study and understand these amazing, you know, natural phenomena. All right. Sinti, you are not actually a biologist, but I hear that you have doing some amazing work with birds. What got you interested and what are you doing right now? Yeah, technically, I'm not a biologist. I'm actually a geologist, but birds have always been a uh, passion for me. I got into birds when I was just a kid, uh, eight years old, and a friend of my parents took us out and I saw this summer tanager. It's a bright red bird, about the size of a robin. And when I saw that, I just thought, what what in the world <laughs> is that? How can something be so beautiful, you know? And uh, I remember it still to this day, sitting in a cottonwood tree. I mean, I was always interested in nature, but birds are, there are a lot of them. They're visible and it's an easy sort of gateway to exploring the rest of the world. And that's, that's how I got in. So Scott has been telling me about the studies you have been doing of migrating birds. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I, so I came to Rice about 20 years ago. I've always just kept track of the birds at Rice doing visual surveys. And then when you do that for 20 years, you, you see patterns. Okay, and just so people understand, Rice, it's in the middle of Houston, but it's this very green space. If I were a bird flying over it, I might think, oh, I'll land there. Yeah, it, so here we are in Houston. It's in the middle of the continent, and a large fraction of the birds that uh, migrate that Scott was talking about go through this area is the mid-continent flyway. And Houston is all urbanized now and they still go over, but they have to stop during the day to rest. And when they see rice, it's not really the best place because it's not natural habitat, but it's green. And so they will come down to rest a little bit and then they keep going. So how did you get into recording migrating birds? When COVID hit, we weren't uh, able to go anywhere. We had to stay put. And so I, of course, walked around looking for birds, but then a few of us thought, well, maybe we should just put up a microphone since we can't go anywhere and just record everything that goes over. The ambient noise was very low. There was no traffic. So this was the perfect time to play around. <laughs> okay, so where did you put these microphones? So I put it in the middle of the soccer field in a... a the first uh, season, which was um, that spring when COVID hit. So wait, are you 
You're not catching the birds in the trees. You're catching migrating birds that are flying over. They're flying over from a microphone in the night, in the middle of a soccer in field. a lemon tree. Initially, <laughs> hidden in a lemon tree because I didn't want someone to steal it. That's not a lemon. Yeah, <laughs> the lemon tree doesn't exist anymore because the freeze of February uh, uh, February last year killed the lemon tree, so I have to put it somewhere else. Now it's on a twenty foot pole. How high are birds generally flying? They're nowhere near that twenty foot microphone, are they? No, but they. They migrate at different levels. As they're coming down, we're going up. We we pick them up, but also in the middle of the night, they could be in some cases only a hundred meters, two hundred meters high. Some cases they're a kilometer or two kilometers. And you can still pick that up. Obviously, we can't pick up the ones at two kilometers. So what we record depends on first, does that species of bird call in the night when it's flying? And you have to ask why. Why do they call when they're flying? Some don't call, and some call a lot. Some have loud calls, some have、uh, sort of soft calls. Some fly high, some fly low. And, but weather conditions also matter. When in spring, in particular, if we have clouds, it does push the birds lower, and you can pick them up pretty well. In fall, for some reason, a lot of the birds are flying low, particularly the sparrows. And it may just be that sparrows don't fly very high. So we pick up tons of sparrows in the in the fall. Scott mentioned, you know. Birds migrate at night. Actually, the, the majority of birds migrate at night. Even some raptors, believe it or not, we've had peregrine falcon, bald eagle flying over in the night. It's kind of mind blowing. They're not avoiding predators. If you're a bald eagle, you are the predator. Why are you sneaking around at night? It, it's partly because they're trying to migrate, get to where they want to be as fast as they can, and so they and they're visual. Birds are visual, so they feed during the daytime. And they migrate in the night. Wow! So it's basically working all the time. It's just maximizing all their efforts. I feel lazy now. I don't know compared to birds. <laughs> like, don't they ever sleep, Cindy?、Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not in migration. They sleep a little bit. Yeah. So what did you find out with the microphones? What What other things did you find? New species or? When we first started, we we weren't. Sure, what we were doing, and so some nights we would. In the beginning, we heard nothing. We thought, "Are we doing something wrong?" Well, it turns out when we were started, I think in March, the birds weren't moving as much. But then when late April hit, it exploded, and there were thousands, thousands of birds going through each night. You know, thrushes in the daytime we would see on the ground when I do my、uh, daytime bird surveys, maybe、uh, you know half a dozen at best. But in the night, two thousand would go over. How can you count? I can play the audio. Yeah. So you can hear when the bird is calling several times. As it comes towards you, it starts off quietly and gets louder, and then it gets softer again as it passes over. So we attribute that to one bird. And so, of course, those numbers are rough. They are surely a minimum bound, but we don't know if we're picking up one percent, ten percent, because a lot don't call, and some may be high.、Uh, so who knows? And this has a visual, so you can also see. Yeah. Can you see that? Okay. So right now we're looking at a computer screen that is what you would be looking at, Cinti, each morning during migration season. So to me, it looks pink and purple with what I think are sound waves. Those are Bird calls. Yeah, it, so we actually visually inspect the ten hours, and we can scan through that in one hour, actually, or, or less. So while other people are drinking coffee, I'm just doing this <laughs> every morning, and it's so much fun 
because you uh, you discover all these things, and usually it's quiet, and all of a sudden there's a there's a call, and these are not bird songs. They don't sing when they migrate. They're just little tiny calls. Perhaps they're calling because they're just trying to keep each other company. They they probably go in flocks, and so they they call out so they know that they're still with the flock. So what does that sound like? Yeah. So what you have there. This buzzy call, indigo buntings flying north. That's an American golden plover, which uh, winters in southern South America and then breeds in the northern slope of Alaska. And it's headed right up. The entire population in spring goes through Houston almost. Grasshopper sparrow. That was a barn owl migrating. An owl. Yeah. That twitter are upland sandpipers. Oh wow! This is a common nighthawk, and and this continues to dawn basically. And once the sun rises, it ends. This one, that high pitched kind of a twitter. Uh huh. That's a bald eagle. Oh wow! It's just amazing. It's magical to to hear that because they've been doing this journey for hundreds of thousands of years. I'm wondering, Cinti, since the birds are migrating at night, how much does light pollution affect them in their in their migration? Yeah, that that's a great question. Part of why I was doing this is related to light pollution. Lights can disorient the birds when they're flying. We don't know exactly why. It's possible in the backs of their eyes, the retinas, they,、uh, they have magnetic particles there that help them navigate, and so if those are photosensitive, that can mess them up. But we don't know. But what we do know is that we have seen where you have very bright lights. The birds, as they pass through, they get disoriented. They just circle the lights, almost like bugs. Yeah. And the light doesn't necessarily kill them, but it wastes energy. And so then they they either drop out of the sky or not really drop, but they descend. And then they're too hard tired to do anything, and then they get eaten by cats, or or they're so disoriented they hit hit. Uh, themselves into buildings, which does kill them.、Uh, so the, there's an indirect effect of the, the lights, and so you have to imagine that you know these birds have been migrating, doing this for hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of years, and they've never had to deal with lights. And all of a sudden, these these birds are seeing this lights of Houston. Houston and Audubon have a, a initiative,、uh, lights out, and they try to encourage buildings to turn off their lights during the Peak migration times. So your recordings help us understand when the birds are all flying, so that we can turn off lights and stop them from being killed. Yeah, understanding the migration windows is critical,、uh, and then understanding when in the night the birds are going to be moving, what elevations they're moving at, and how weather patterns move the birds up and down. You know, if they're flying very high, the buildings aren't such an issue, but If they come down, then the buildings are an issue. So those are the times the lights need to be out. I, I think so. Yeah. Wow, it is so interesting finding this stuff out. How many bird species are we up to now、uh, for the Rice Campus? We're at two hundred and sixty-two species. Wow. Okay, and these are ones that you've seen. Does that count the ones that just fly over? Okay. Yeah. So it's a little bit cheating because <laughs> once we started doing this、uh, nocturnal flight call、um, monitoring, I think we probably added thirty、uh, species, <laughs> <laughs> and they they never stop.、Uh, yeah. I mean, they may stop. We we just 
didn't detect them before. You didn't see them during the day. No, we didn't. But you know, some of the birds, like sparrows,、uh, there's some secretive sparrows, like the conch sparrows. In 20 years、uh, at Rice,、uh, visually, I had only seen maybe half a dozen in 20 years, and in one fall season, we got 70. Wow! Also, I, I track the, these calls with time from sunset to sunrise, so I can tell when they're landing, and, and we know they land about an hour before sunrise. Yeah. But we can't find it. We can't find them on the ground. <laughs> They're so secretive,、uh, yeah. But they land. Oh, they're hiding from you. So they're here. <laughs> oh, they're they're hiding, and they they do it very well. There's so much we don't know. And I mean, the campus also has you know a lot of birds that you can easily see, right? I mean, you can go out on campus and you can easily see, you know, grackles and mockingbirds and、oh, yes. blue、yeah. jays and others. And I love the fact that you can also see owls, right? I mean, we have. Several species of owls. Rice's mascot. I know we have to be one of the few campuses <laughs> that has its mascot living wild on its campus. At least, at least I hope that's the case. I hope you know Baylor and LSU. <laughs> the cougars、yeah. are roaming. <laughs> right, U of H. U of H. Don't have theirs, but <laughs> yeah. So what are what are some of the like you know highlight birds for you, Cinti? When you go out on these walks, what bird gets you super excited if you get a chance to see it? Well, I, you know I. I like all the birds, of course.、Um, You're not going to hurt their feelings. We don't have a lot of bird listeners. No, but my favorite time is right now in April and,、uh-huh. and the first week of May, and that's when the birds are coming through. And you can walk around campus, in, look up in the trees, and there's a good chance you'll see some of these neotropical migrants. You get the right weather conditions, like if there's a rain that pushes the birds down. There was one year. It was the first week of May. It was graduation day,、um, the ceremony. And when it rains, there's a rain check. They move everything indoors. And for me, when there's a rain day, I think, oh, this is this is great. Don't don't tell my employer.、Uh, but <laughs> that was the most phenomenal day. That the trees at, at Rice were just dripping with tanagers, warblers, vireos, thrushes. It, it was like、uh, like a Christmas tree with ornaments、uh, everywhere, but moving. So. Really, even though I think of the Rice campus as the special green place, this kind of bird life is probably passing over every square meter of Houston, right? Yes. So Rice has is some special qualities. It's it's a green area surrounded by、uh, urbanized、um, environment, so it does attract some birds. But what we've been showing is basically, and and my twenty years serving at Rice is because birds fly anywhere you go, you're going to find them if you just sit there. And patiently, methodically,、uh, survey like I did. You're going to find them in your own backyard,、um, anywhere. And there's, I, I like that. That's kind of saying that nature is accessible to anyone, everyone, and wherever you are, just start, start looking here. Just have to pay attention. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, both of you. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. We will have a lot of information in our show notes, so check them out. I am here with CityCast producer Farrell Gibbs. Farrell, what else is happening around Houston today? Thank you, Lisa. Well, the Astros unveiled their alternate uniforms this weekend, and they look very, very spacey. 
The font is sort of disco, bright orange on top of navy, and it looks like something out of a 70s or 80s science fiction movie. It says Space City across the front, and the uniform also has rainbow flourishes on the socks and across the entire ensemble. The cap is the one place where you will find the well-known Star H logo, but the player's numbers are going to appear on the right leg, which is an homage to the 1970s Astros uniform. It's all part of a program called City Connect that Major League Baseball initiated last year, and it's designed to shake things up across the sport, featuring uniforms that express the soul of each city. This new Space City uniform, which people really seem to like so far on Twitter, is going to be unveiled on April 20th when the Astros play the Angels at Minute Maid Park. That is it for our show today. We love getting feedback. If you have something you want to say about today's show or if you have an idea for a show, please call or text us, 713-489-6972. We'll have that number in our show notes. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye. I'm on. I'm done. I am so finished.